There we well, welcome everybody to episode 40 of the Blow Off Valve podcast. We're your hosts, Alex and Tucker. Uh, no F1 race this week. We're at Circle the Circuit of the Americas next week. Um, so this week, I thought we'd talk about uh, some interesting uh, news items, some EV-related stuff, uh, as well as um, some just more god-awful styling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I wanted I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on this. Is I think kind of going kind of glove in hand with some of the EV revolution over the air update stuff. So Rivian, which is coming out with the R1T truck and then the what's the name of the suv it's the r1s the r1s yeah so they're coming out with an suv as well um by all accounts at least from the the i've seen reviews of the truck saying like this is this is a game changer so it looks on the face of it to be Mm -hmm. quite a compelling vehicle but in um some filing paperwork that Mm -hmm. rivian submitted for its ipo they um, revealed that they think they're going to derive about $15,500 in additional income on top of the price of the vehicle in subscription services. Now, what that means is every Rivian vehicle is going to have level three self-driving technology baked in, which is essentially like your GM Super Cruise, your Tesla Autopilot, like these kind of really advanced quote unquote autonomous or self-driving systems, which are really just they're not self-driving, but we've talked right. about that before. But anyways, that system, if you actually want to use it, will be an additional either ten thousand dollar option up front or a monthly subscription. And they're also going to have other subscriptions for infotainment features, connectivity features, diagnostics, other services that they didn't specify, uh, that they think will generate an extra fifty five hundred dollars in addition to that $10,000 for the self-driving package. Um, And it just made me wonder, in the era of these connected vehicles where you can push a software update that unlocks an additional 100 horsepower from your battery or, or, you know, stuff like that, is this going to become the norm? I mean, BMW looked into doing this um, with Apple CarPlay, and it was just roundly hated. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So... I mean, how would you, you know, you're, you're, I know you're interested in the, in the SUV. So like, you know, how would you feel if you were like, okay, here's $80,000 for this awesome SUV, but you're also going to have to pay, you know, an extra $1,500 a year if you want Apple CarPlay. Yeah. I don't know. You know, um, it's funny the other day I was on the e-tron forum and people someone was complaining about the software on that and i kind of jokingly said in one of my posts that you know maybe the silver lining here is that their software is so shitty they won't be able to get on the subscription bandwagon because <laughs> <laughs> none of it'll work yeah uh, right yeah exactly they can't charge for something that's <laughs> but uh yeah all joking aside i mean I don't know. I guess I have to see it. I mean, part of me, you know, I understand the perspective of a manufacturer saying, Mm -hmm. you know, if we, most people are going to want this or the people buying the car the second time around are going to want this technology. Mm -hmm. And if we just put it on all of them, we can drive the price down for ourselves significantly. Right. Right. And, you know, 
suppose I, I didn't mess with any of this stuff because you know the Tycon software is kind of, is kind of frankly like the Etron software. It's That's nice when it's brittle. working. Don't, <laughs> don't don't mess with it. But yeah, they do have you know downloadable applications for the Tycon as well. I mm-hmm. I don't really see much discussion about them on the forums aside from some people kind of complaining once in a while. Yeah, but, um, conceivably, you know, let's say. For my wife and I, if we if we were going to get a Rivian as a replacement uh, for our e-tron, you know, one of the reasons we'd be want, wanting to get it is for kind of longer drives, so that we don't have to screw around with charging. Because mm-hmm. I mean, we got the we got the e-tron quite a while ago, and I I had some hope that you know the charging infrastructure would improve a little bit in the upper Midwest, but I haven't really I've seen some improvements, but not much. Mm-hmm. And so we would really want that for kind of longer distance traveling. So we just didn't have to screw around with it with, you know, 400 miles of range. Right. But that's the only time we use that type of kind of, pre- I don't know what you can call it, adaptive cruise control. Adaptive yeah, cruise control, yeah. You know, like the lane keep, um, mm-hmm. the adaptive cruise where it slows you down. Yeah, the radar cruise control. Steer. Mm-hmm. that's kind of where we use that and otherwise i you know don't really use it and so if we were to say okay in the summer we're going to make this trip and they said it's a hundred bucks for that feature for a month mm-hmm. i'd say okay once a month for however many years we own this vehicle mm-hmm. um maybe that actually could save you money if you were yeah. just like i only want it for this month and then we're not doing any any long distance trips with it for mm-hmm. however much time, and so I won't wouldn't even use it. Yeah, and maybe there's an argument for for that. And then the manufacturer, when the car gets sold as a used car, mm-hmm. you know, they can re-engage the next buyer. Yeah, and milk some money out of them. Yeah, um, I think at the end of the day, what it is is manufacturers looking to try to create streams of revenue, just like we saw in video games. Totally. Yep. The damn microtransactions. Yeah. Overall, yeah. I think it's it's irritating in so much that if you won't let me buy it up front, then it kind of pisses me off a yeah. little bit. I'd I'd rather just decide for myself that these are the options that I want in the car and yeah. you know, let me just pay up front. Um, but then I also I I you know don't frankly expect you to dramatically improve them. I kind of just want them working and don't know they are. Now, if I'm engaged in a subscription, then I think I better damn well see some improvements over the lifetime. So bugs and things Mm -hmm. get get patched. Yeah. But, you know, on a car that's already like 77 grand or whatever the hell this would be Mm -hmm. with the max pack, probably in the, in the eighties. Yeah. It's a little bit obnoxious to also then just realize so not only will this be a monthly big monthly payment if you lease or finance it, which by the way I don't think they let you lease those, which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, then you've got this all this other kind of nasty, irritating stuff on top of your payment, right? You know, yeah, that cash for it. It's a really it's an interesting point you bring up about like the on demand kind of stuff. Like, hey, I'm going to do two long drives a year. It'd be nice to have the adaptive cruise control. That's a really good point, and I think that could be a reasonable argument for some of this stuff. But I, on balance, 
there's something about the idea of my car having the full capability to do something, but I can't do it unless I have a subscription that mm-hmm. annoys the shit out of me. Like <laughs> it'd be it'd be like if my like nine eleven had like well here's the engine. It's it's capable of five hundred and thirty horsepower, but it's limited to four hundred unless you buy the ultra pack. And like that would just annoy the shit out of me. Um yeah. and and that's essentially you know what they're doing they're building in every capability it's like you're it's like every vehicle is being built with fully loaded every option box ticked mm-hmm. and then they're they're restricting it and it's like if this isn't some ride share car if i'm paying you $80,000 for a car i want to be able to use every single freaking thing on the car <laughs> um, yeah you know and and, and it, also when you think about the cruise control situation, okay, they're promising you this, you know, f- basically what's what it is, it's fancy cruise control. Yeah. It's still not going to really be able to like drive itself. So no. if I don't opt for that, do I have any cruise control? Right. Or do they basically kind of hold the guillotine over you and you're like, well, you either pay the 10 grand mm-hmm. or the, you know, $150 a month for this service. And you're just well, that, like, oh, that's the other thing with this. subscriptions is it's a shifting. Like if I buy, if I walk into a Ford dealership and I buy an F-150 and I check the $3,000 cold weather package for the heated seats and the $2,000 technology package, whatever, that's it. I know exactly what that is costing me. But if I walk into a dealership and order a Rivian and I say, okay, well, I want, you know, I'm, I'm going to get this car and I'm going to get the Apple CarPlay subscription. Well, that subscription, you know, that Apple CarPlay over is going to cost me a very different amount of money if I have that car for five years versus if I have that car for 10 years versus if I have that car for two years. Right. And so the lo- basically the longer I keep that car, the worse a deal it is for me for every single option that I'm <laughs> have a subscription to. So like it actually is it actually is to me very consumer unfriendly because all it's yeah. it's another incentive to just like you said you can't lease a Rivian, but if if other people are doing this, if other people start doing this on cars you can lease, it's just another incentive to not lease <laughs> you know to, well, to turn yeah. the car I mean lease. I mean, honestly, you know, this was something that's in there, I I think was buried in their kind of like IPO filing. Right. And so at the end of the day, it's like you said, it's basically to screw consumers and extract more money from them. And now as a startup company who, you know, historically the the concept has been um, we have to sell cars to make money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm I'm just trying to think outside the box on this, kind of almost playing like devil's advocate because I kind of hate it too. Mm-hmm. But I'm also wondering, you know, if you have electric, if you, let's just say you got an electric car and it's got 400 miles of range and charging infrastructure does improve mm-hmm. and you're not pounding it with DC charging all the time, mm-hmm. maybe you can get 12 years out of that car and if mm-hmm. it does grow with you, mm-hmm. maybe you've amortized costs over that time in such a way that not even having to buy another car in that time period mm-hmm. has net saved you money. Yeah. And so maybe the concept is, do they see a little bit of the writing on the wall of 
you know, we're going to be selling these things directly. Mm -hmm. We're not going to have as much probably like once the kinks get ironed out, we're not going to have as much dealer kind of servicing things going on. So we'd like to keep some revenue stream. Oh, and by the way, if these things pan out like they say they should, they could Mm -hmm. go for a very long time. And so we're just not going to have the same revenue stream. And so we've got to recreate that. And in Rivian's case in particular, as like a startup, Mm -hmm. if you go to investors and say, hey, you know, not only are we selling them cars, so like each one of these we sell is like a profit center. Mm -hmm. It's a continual profit center because of these other things. And then you're like, oh, as an investor, wow, they've got something new. They're going to they're going to make me more money all the time. Well, (laughs) it's an it's an interesting it's an interesting point because I'm I'm reading a book on the history of Tesla right now. It's really good. It's called Ludacris and um, by Ed Niedemeyer, I think is his name. But the point he makes is that, you know, Tesla was very unprofitable for a long time because they didn't really understand that unlike software, once the product is made, you can, you know, with software, once you make the product, replicating the product to sell additional units is incredibly cheap. And so you, you make Microsoft's 2022 and then yeah. making more copies of then you just give people a downloadable key you know it, it costs you basically nothing so all you, you have all that development cost up front but then it's almost pure profit for every unit you sell once you've covered mm-hmm. that development cost unlike and, and that's kind of was tesla's mindset and that's where they ended up losing their shirts is they spent tons of money on development costs for various reasons that he goes into in the book. And then the margins in car sales are very thin. And so all of a sudden they're building Model S's and Model X's and they're losing money. And the only way they're making a profit is by selling EV tax credits to yeah, um, credits. GM and Ford and all these other companies that that to to basically comply with California's emissions regulation board. Long story short, they're not even making money on cars. They're making money on these EV tax credits in the state of California. Um, yeah, I think I read about that. And so, you know, that may be kind of the same thing with Rivian. They're looking at it like saying, we've had tons of development costs. In that same filing, they, they've they they've basically been losing a billion dollars a year of, of yeah. their venture capital. And so they're like, okay, we know we're not going to make a ton of money per truck. So we've got to find another revenue stream. And this is exactly that you've already spent the money to put the hardware in the car. And now you're just doing software updates that cost you basically nothing except for developing the patch or the code. And then, you know, you're not, you're not having any additional outlay of funds to provide car play to that person for the next 10 years of that car's life, but you're just getting money every month. So I, I think, I think, they're trying to learn a lesson from Tesla's missteps and say, okay, we need additional revenue streams because we may not be able to rely on government tax credits and whatnot to subsidize us. Um, yeah. So, and, and honestly, yeah, it's a big enough of an issue for myself, mm-hmm. you know, and my wife that we would consider maybe just sticking with an e-tron again. I think they've got a big refresh coming in 2023 with more range. And mm-hmm. if, they're not going to have all the subscription crap. 
Yeah. I might just say screw the extra range and the bigger vehicle and we'll stick with this because I'm kind of opposed to it. Yeah. But, I, that's the thing is I think it's going to be a really cool car, both the truck and the SUV, but I don't want to support that business yeah. model. Yeah, no, I don't want to get milked all the way. Because know, we've seen that you, all the time. Well, you and I both both haven't, you know, grown up on video games. We've seen yeah. this develop elsewhere where in World of Warcraft they started selling mounts, I think it was, you know little characters that your character could ride on around the map for like a few bucks and people lost their minds but then it's become so standardized that now you know kids are paying 20 bucks for a Fortnite skin and it's just kind of like well yeah that's the business model you know and that's Um, the thing you know i said to my wife the the truth is once somebody cracks this and it starts to work they're all going to do it and then right. you're just screwed. You're not going to have an option. It's just going to be who does it better. Right, and exactly. Right now, I have very little faith in the Volkswagen Automotive Group that they're anywhere near getting that no, off the No, their software isn't where it needs to be to, to pull it off. Yeah. And so, you know, Tesla, you know, Rivian, other American companies that presumably know software. Mm-hmm. And so there might, they might be, you know, better equipped to do that. Yeah, um, I think you're right. So we'll see how it plays out. Um, see if Rivian's more successful than other companies yeah. who have kind of tried to venture into these waters. But um, I wanted to to touch on a, a kind of an interesting press release that came out from the organizers of the, the Geneva International Motor Show. It was canceled. It's been canceled the last uh, couple of years, I think, due to COVID. And mm-hmm. it's canceled again for this coming year. Um, they say because of continued travel restrictions from COVID, um, a lot of the exhibitors have basically said we can't commit to coming. And so, but we've seen other motor shows getting canceled. And, and even before COVID, um, kind of uh, attendance at the motor shows, both in terms of public attendance as well as attendance of the big car companies, had really started to dwindle. And I just wonder, I kind of wanted to see your what you thought, like, are we kind of in the age of social media and YouTube and being able to kind of do your own online car debuts and stuff? Like, are we beyond kind of the era of the motor show? You know, I don't think so. Um, I mean, obviously, you're seeing a, a number of car companies have kind of their own you know, private unveilings or, you know, and, and I remember kind of watching the Tycon unveil a couple of years ago now mm-hmm. and thinking like, Oh, this is a really cool venue. You know, they're, they're speaking to other things they can do and they kind of have a full captive audience and they're not yeah. competing against anybody. Yeah. Um, you know, like they can pick a Wednesday of this time of year when no other car news is coming out and they can command the attention of the whole. Exactly. Media. Yep. And um, so the, the car shows are, you know, I think it's still kind of like, you know, our scientific gatherings and in in medicine. There's probably there's some value there for networking and kind of within the auto. Yeah, yeah, like within the automotive industry, but mm-hmm. it might be for more for like auto manufacturers, maybe rather than mm-hmm. consumers, where they're looking at here's a company that's supposedly really good at this thing. And so they're trying to sell, you know, forward this, you know, product. And mm-hmm. so it might, it might be like more valuable for them in the future, but, you know, for product unveils and things like that, it, it definitely is not, I don't think quite as necessary. Yeah. 
I agree. I think I think you're spot on. I think there probably is some utility in being able to get together from an industry standpoint with, you know, if you're Lexus or Toyota and you're you're uh, going to a show and you can talk to the CEO of Bosch and, and talk about what they're doing in terms of their headlight development for you and all that sort of stuff. That's nice to maintain those relationships and like you said, network. But from a consumer standpoint, you know, I'm torn because I the only chance I had to see certain cars growing up was going to the the motor show, you know, with my dad. Yeah. And so yeah. You know, that's where I first saw Ford GT. That's where I first got to sit in like a BMW M3. And, you know, and so I have really fond memories of that and getting to see it, see the car, physically touch the car and, and you know, have that experience is, is really cool. But if you're the automotive manufacturer and it's going to cost you $5 million to put up some f- crazy booth at the Frankfurt International Motor Show, you know, versus using that same budget to fund, uh, you know, a two-minute, well, highly produced video that you can put on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and, and you know, and on your website and on YouTube. And like you said, just throw it out on a Tuesday afternoon in the middle of, you know, May when nothing else is happening and you have that entire news cycle captive for you know the next three four days um, yeah versus trying to get cut through all the noise of a trade show when there's 20 new cars being announced from different manufacturers it just this it's really lost in the milieu well the you know it's really interesting because the same thing has really happened in the the gaming space you know another kind of parallel with gaming is you know when you know i was growing up like E3 was the big, that's when all the new cool video games got their debut. So you'd see gameplay for the new Zelda game or the new Halo or whatever. And now mm-hmm. E3 has kind of become a ghost town because Xbox is doing their own live stream event and then PlayStation does their own live stream event and then Nintendo does its Treehouse live stream event so that they don't have to fight for airtime, you know? Yeah. So they've already figured that out. And I think probably the same thing is going to happen in the automotive space, um, which I think will be a shame. I I think, like I said, I have really fond memories of it. But, you know, if you're an automotive company, like why go through all the crazy logistics and spend all the money just to try and fight for eyeballs when you when you don't need to, frankly, anymore? You can. Yeah. And you can do it all online. There's a lot of people now who are, you know, well, let me think here. There's a lot, there's a number of cars that I've purchased. Yeah. Without even, you know, kind of test driving them now at this point. Yeah. Um, And so you're relying on your kind of YouTube Mm -hmm. uh, reviews. You're relying on your forum discussions. Um, Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, you know, 30 years ago, maybe you'd walk into a Montgomery Wards and you just buy the thing on the shelf. Right. And now you can have a bunch of reviews that discuss kind of pros and cons of the product. And you're mm-hmm. like, okay, this thing's been bought 20,000 times. Mm-hmm. It has 20,000 reviews and they're all really good. It's probably safe yeah. to buy this. Right. You know? and, and so it is just, it's kind of, I think in the future, we, you know, we may end up more in that vein of just buying cars without really even seeing them for a test drive 
Well, that's the funny thing. I never would have imagined I would buy a car without test driving it. And that's kind of becoming the norm. And the funny thing is, it seems like the more expensive the car, the less likely you are that you're going to test drive Isn't that it. Weird. Yeah. You know? And because they're like, and now you can't touch it unless you're paying for it. Yeah. And now, like with the, you know, chip shortage and stuff, it's like the dealerships oh, yeah. have probably realized, oh my gosh, we can make just as much money, if not more, probably more money. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to discount anything because it's just short supplied. Right. And so yeah. they're now they're like, no, you don't. I mean, to even like be able to test drive that stupid truck we bought we had to put a deposit down yeah i mean really serious for this yeah yeah pretty serious okay so if you give us a deposit for 500 it's refundable and we'll hold it and you can be the first guys to see it and make a decision you know yeah it's it's weird but we did the i am really you know for something like a tycon coming from porsche i mean you and i we obviously did go and test drive that but right. it is, yeah, you're pretty confident. Buying something from a brand you're not familiar with and a vehicle you're not accustomed to driving, mm-hmm. you're going to want to do a test drive. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally <laughs> you know? agree. Like, I so, buying my 911, I was so nervous. But it, but I had the confidence of being yeah. like, okay, well, it's it's a 911. Like, they're built well. <laughs> it should be pretty good at it its job. It should be pretty good, you know. But yeah, yeah it was the same thing. It was like, well... Yeah, it's it was the middle of the pandemic. I can't fly out to L.A. Yeah, uh, to drive it. So, you know, it's I mean, yeah. And speaking of, you know, kind of Rivian's doing these first mile events where you can go see one and drive it. And that's probably something we would do just. to. Oh, see really? Oh, cool. I hadn't heard about that. Yeah. And, and I think it's kind of I think it's something that especially with somebody who's never made a car before, you know, mm-hmm. you got to do that. And yeah, I, I think like. Probably in the future, car, you know, like Audi had that. What did they call it? The Sky Sphere concept or something? Oh yeah, that mm-hmm. you know did all this crazy stuff. Yeah, I could see that being at a car show. You know, like yeah, here's our latest and greatest whiz bang technology, and just you mm-hmm. know to make kind of a flash in the pan. But and maybe that would not, be kind of. Maybe you don't spend the see. money to bring like an A8 <laughs> to yeah to the car yeah show. yeah exactly uh, yeah. You know, because yeah. you can go see that at your local dealership. So, yeah, I, yeah, no, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see what their role is in our future. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just the changing world of social media yeah. and how it affects us. So, uh, well, we wanted to end on what is just kind of a <laughs> just kind of a funny story, I think. So it's strange. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we we obviously have a mutual disdain for the bmw m3 <laughs> m4 latest the g80 i think it's called uh model the newest model because it has this horrifically large kidney grill and lexus <laughs> unveiled so the toyota land cruiser which is you know much venerated as just kind of a bulletproof great suv uh is not coming back to america um at least in this generation mm. however isn't that interesting why the hell is that? Maybe that's a different discussion. You know, I don't know. I would think that if you can Big sell SUVs, a, like if you can HAVs. sell an eighty thousand dollar Toyota, I think you would want to try and sell an eighty thousand dollar Toyota. Yeah, we eat that um, stuff. For, for I I do kind of wonder here. if I do kind of wonder if the Land Cruiser sales were cannibalizing the Lexus sales, which obviously oh, yeah. the Lexus models sell for 
a 20, yeah, 30 grand premium because they have a different badge, basically. Maybe. Yeah. So anyways, they're not bringing the Toyota version, but the hmm. Lexus version of the new Land Cruiser, the LX600, is coming to the U.S. And holy shit, is it the ugliest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So it yeah. has... But they've kind of had this nasty, I mean, that's my opinion. They've kind of yeah. had this nasty, weird grill for. Yeah. So a they while call it the spindle grill, where it basically looks like it's call? pinched, being pinched in from the sides. And that's been their design language for, God, a better part yeah. of a decade. But this like is it. like even, I mean, because the car is. It's so like, massive, it's basically they got forced to take it to the extreme, like. Right. What the hell do we put on this? Well, we could put a grill. Yeah. <laughs> Our grill, yeah. which is now like the size of a black hole. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, you that's know? the that's the thing. Like it I think this is a, a you know, this is a problem where the size of the car made the made it that much more ridiculous because the car is nasty. <laughs> yeah. So to make the it grill otherwise isn't like terribly different in shape or whatever it's, compared to the other models, you know? Yeah. It's just the, it's so big. They just were like, well, let's just keep giving it more levels of grill. <laughs> it's just gigantic, <laughs> but it, it was interesting. I watched a, there's a kind of an engineering video I saw about why the M3 has such a massive kidney grill. And, and <clears throat> it's part, at least in that car, there is a, somewhat argue argument for it in that because of how how much performance there is and all the cooling needed for all of that they're having to have like increased surface area of radiators and and cooling ducts and all this sort of stuff and so like easiest way to do that is to make a bigger hole to allow yeah yeah better airflow i don't think that that's necessarily the case with the, the lexus suv but you know, it's one of them. One of them does have. It looks like you know more of a your kind of tr- traditional silver, metal, or chrome mm-hmm. type grill. And so I don't know if that's like an option. I don't know if that's some kind of you know demarcating specs levels of yeah specification but that looks a little bit less awful than just like this black gaping maw on the front of the other one the differences are so that that chrome grill is like the normal one and the black one is the f sport version oh which having an f sport version of like uh, a two and a half suv is hilarious yeah there was some like (laughs) i saw where a guy was (laughs) Driving a freaking like uh, Dodge Ram Sport uh-huh. around the Nuremberg Ring, and it was just like that's the dumbest looking thing I've ever seen. No, I know it's like it's like <laughs> guys. Sport. Not everything <laughs> needs to have a performance version. Like <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I get it with the Cayenne or a Macan. Yeah, or and, a and if Q5. you can if you can, like afford this effing car, you yeah. can afford a dedicated sports car. Like, yeah. No, I mean if. The the thing is, you're buying this car because it's a land barge. You can li- yeah. you can fit your entire extended family and all their luggage in the back with no problem, and you're all in opulent comfort, and yeah. everything works because it's a Toyota, and yeah. and that's why you're getting it. You're not getting it so that you can like take a turn aggressively. <laughs> yeah. Just, no. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's just the so children. Ridiculous. 
<laughs> yeah. On hang on, way to hang on kids. We're going to really hit this on ramp. <laughs> we're so late dumb. for piano. Yeah. We're, we're late for tennis lessons. Th- this is an example of of the of the legacy automakers doing what they know how to do and that's creating option packages yeah <laughs> that, that's that the no, are a way to extract a little bit more money from you but i just thought that was hilarious like i saw that grill when they announced and i was like no way someone approved <laughs> we did it they did it uh, well that's oh, wow. that's i think all we had for this week uh we'll be back uh next week with a hopefully very exciting circuit of the Americas uh, U.S. Grand Prix. Um, I think it should be quite interesting. You know, Lewis has been really competitive, you know, very, very good at circuit of the Americas, but in a car that looks like it might be a little bit off the pace of the Red Bull, it should make for a really interesting race. And until then, please follow us on Instagram at the Blofeld Podcast. Um, be sure to to rate us and 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 uh, review us on iTunes or Podbean wherever you get your podcasts. And until then, we'll see you next week.